know, if you watched the NFL during the 1980s, it probably meant several things. It probably meant that if you were a Cowboys fan, you were often disappointed, especially as you got towards the end. It was going to be a good sign, but we didn't know it. But in 1989, Troy Aikman joined the Cowboys and ended the season with a 1-15 record. It was a dark time, as it has been lately for our Cowboy fans. But there was also something else that took place during the 80s that I loved, and I really wish they would bring it back. Uh, it was the um, You Make the Call series. Do you remember that? It was really uh, something that they utilized during the Monday Night Football. They would show um, a play. For instance, at one time they showed the Houston Oilers. Now we're going way back far. The punter had had kicked the ball. It bounced off a defensive player. He caught the ball. The punter caught the ball that he had kicked. And he starts to run, and they pause it, and they say, you make the call. What happens? Can the punter advance a, a muffed punt or a punt that has been, has been tipped? And so then they talk about it, and then they go back and say, well, here's really what happens. And so I've decided that this morning, we're just going to bring that back. We're going to bring back the you make the call. So what we have is Mark chapter 8. And what I want to bring before you this morning, five verses. Five verses starting in verse 22. 22, 23, 24, 25, and we'll kind of catch 26, mainly four verses right here. And so you're going to make the call. I do have some notes. I have some things that I want to share, but I really just want to turn this into, I'm going to present you with some information, and I want you to tell me, what do we make of this? Because this is another really odd and awkward passage in Mark. You know, just a few weeks ago or last week, we had, had the issue of Jesus talking to a woman, ignoring a woman, and then he calls her a dog and says, you know, we, we don't serve your kind. And so here we go again. Jesus is going to uh, involve us in a really unusual miracle. And so we want to talk just a little bit about that. I have my timer set. And so I have no idea how long this is going to go. If this is a 45-minute sermon, I just want you to know it's now on you. Okay? And so we're going to find out how much you really want to go with this. So we're in Mark chapter 8, verse uh, 22. As you're, you're turning there, scrolling there, there's a couple things I do want to point out. There are two miracles that take place in the Gospel of Mark that involve the healing of a blind person. There's this one in 8.22 and following. There's going to be another one in Mark chapter 10. Mark 8, Mark chapter 10. Now what's interesting is these two miracles of healing a blind person, they are going to bookend, they are going to frame in a section right in the middle. And I think it's super important. This section in, in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter, towards the end of 8, all of 9 and 10, is called the way section. It's called the way section because Jesus and his disciples are quite literally on their way to Jerusalem, right? And so just keep that in mind. Within the middle of these two miracles, Jesus is going to do something really interesting and very disturbing. Not just for us, but especially 
for his listeners. He's going to talk a little bit about this, this passion prediction, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to read a verse, and then I want you to walk me through what's going on, what questions you might have, what, uh, what comments you'd like to make, and then I'll, I'll interject mine as I see fit, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Okay, so we're on the clock. Here we go. Verse 22 of Mark chapter out 8. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. What do we have here? We have a blind man. What else? Do what? He, he needs to be healed, or at least he wants to be healed for sure. Okay, so now we have some guys who have faith. Uh, This happens throughout the Gospels, but Mark especially loves to point out how people end up to Jesus, whether they come to themselves and fall at his feet. Some of them are brought. In this case, we have some people that lead this blind man to Jesus. Why do they lead him? Because he's blind. Okay, anything else that you notice? Okay, so they have already determined the way in which they believe that Jesus is going to work. I think this is really important. I think it's important for them. I think it's important for us now. Sometimes we decide, here is how Jesus is going to work, right? So they come, they do have faith, and they say, this is what Jesus is going to do. Here is how he's going to do it. He needs to touch this man in order for him to be healed. So there we have it. Okay, good. That's We got one verse down. That took about a minute and a half. This might be the shortest sermon ever. Okay, so uh, let's look at, at the next verse. Verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. I just, I just want to start with the question why. I have a lot of why questions in this verse. But why? Okay, to get away from the crowd. Why? Why does he have to get away from the crowd? Is the crowd the problem? Is the blind man the problem? Is what's go- Why would he do this? Okay, so, so, so you think that maybe he says, maybe he's in some ways shunning the people. A Bethsaida, which, by the way, let's not forget that he's going to say, woe to you, Bethsaida. You know, if the miracles uh, that were done in Tyre and Sidon had been done, you know, there, you know, they would have repented long ago. You're an unbelieving people. So maybe this was a form of, of punishment. Like, if you don't believe, then I'm not going to let you watch. I don't know. What else? Okay, so, so maybe they want to focus in on, maybe they're thinking that like, if he goes from not being able to see to being able to see, he might be overwhelmed. Sensory overload, like all of a sudden he's surrounded by people. Okay, how could this be bad for Jesus if he's surrounded by people and he, and he heals a man who's blind? Why, was, why would this be bad? He might be mobbed, robbing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that initial encounter, that touch, wasn't what really led to the... the that's not what uh, caused the healing. That he walked with Jesus for a while, and what? And what? He's still blind, right? I, I do think there's something really powerful about the fact that, that this man is, is led to Jesus, and then he is led by Jesus. I want you to think about it, especially for your younger guys, Okay, there's, there's a point in your life where you are led to Jesus. And then there's a point that you have to decide, I want to be led by Jesus. Because there's only so long that mom and dad can drag you to church and drag you to Sunday school and, and ask you to do this and, and talk about, you know, preachers and youth ministers, talk about having a relationship. And you're led to Jesus. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, are you going to be led by Jesus? That exchange that had to take place. Why did he lead him out? Was he trying to get away from the prying eyes? Maybe because he didn't think the unbelieving people deserved to see a miracle. Maybe because Jesus didn't want any more attention. He was, you know, people were really rallying to this idea that Jesus was Messiah. Messiah was more than just like this religious idea. For them, it was very political. For them, it meant that he was going to overthrow Rome, right? First, he was going to cause a, 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 a healing, a holy time that would cleanse the people, especially the temple. There would be this cleansing. There would be an overthrow of, of oppression. And then they would be led into glory. And so all of this to them meant something political. Maybe Jesus led him out. Because he was looking for a, a, a personal, private, intimate moment with Jesus and this person. Away from the crowds, away from friends, away from everybody else where he would just have to just really say, okay, what, what do I think about Jesus? And, and the big question is, Jesus is going to ask, what do you see? Okay, so here we go. I, I kind of cheated a little bit. I said we we're going to go verse by verse. That actually is not the whole verse. It, this is such a good verse, I had to split it up. So now let's read the second part of verse 23. But guys, you are doing fantastic. This is going to be the fastest sermon that, that you have ever preached, and certainly faster than any I could ever do. So let's last part of verse 23. When they, when he had spit, I can hardly get past. I want to stop here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna finish. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, "Do you see anything?" Okay, let's just, let's go. Help me out here. I mean, this happened last week. You know, if you were in class, Jesus spit, and the, the, it was a little vague. We don't know. Did he spit on the man's tongue? Did he spit on his fingers and then stick his fingers in the guy's mouth? This is just a little weird, right? What's going on here? Help me out. Yeah, we don't, we don't know exactly. It says, and when he had spit, it says on the man's eyes. You know, is he... is. Okay, so, I mean, the good thing is he's blind. The bad thing is he's not deaf, 
So he knows it's coming. He can't see it, but he hears what's getting about to happen. Now, would this have been seen offensive by this man? Oddly enough, that during Jesus' time, saliva was believed to have like medicinal qualities. Okay? I don't know that we technically believe that today, but I can tell you this, and I, I heard, I heard a, a comedian once say this. He says, it's amazing when a woman becomes a mother, the chemical compound of her spit is like that of 409. Like, I, you'd be amazed at the things that a mother can clean off a child's face with just a little bit of spit on her hand and just that rub in action. For them, this was not meant to be something offensive for a lot of people that there was some kind of healing qualities to believe to be possessed with saliva. Now, having said that, did the saliva heal the man? No. It was just the beginning. So already, though, it's weird. First he spits on him, and then what does he do? He, he puts his, his hands on the man's eyes. So now we have two parts. And then get this, I'm glad you're here today because this is unprecedented. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the Gospels, only in Mark chapter 8. This is the only time that one, well, I just want to talk about this first one. It's the only time that Jesus performs a miracle and then basically asks if it took. It's the only time he's like, okay, so what do you really see? Did this really happen? Was it successful? Did it really work? So I want to ask the question, why would, why would he spit and then lay hands and then ask, what do you see? Do what? He's testing his faith. Yeah. Okay. He's saying, I'm going to work in a different way. Maybe this is for the benefit of all the people who would hear this story for us. And I think this is a, a big deal. Now, there was one commentator who said, you know, well, maybe, maybe this was going to be too much for the man to, to go from being blind to being able to see. And that was just too much. I struggle with that, but I do think that for a lot of us, I think if God opened our eyes, I think it might be a little too much. I think God has to kind of just allow us to slowly get a better understanding. And, and the healing that we need is not always immediate. And, and that's what we're going to find out here. Okay, um, that it, it didn't work. 
at least the way everybody else expected it to. He asked the question, do you see anything? Which is an odd question. Because if Jesus meant to heal him completely, he would know exactly. He says, do you see anything? He says, he looked up, he says, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And I just love this part of it because there's three words involving vision that take place in this very short sentence. He looked up. He said, I see people and they look like trees walking around, right? But my question is, why does he do this? Why would Jesus do this? Why would he only half heal a guy? Let me, let me go ahead. I want to I finish the rest of this, this next verse. And then I want to get back to that question why. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And I just want to ask the question, why did it take two shots? Why? Why would it take two steps? Why would this take two steps? Did it have to take two steps? Should it have taken two steps? And... Why would Jesus want it to take two steps? Somebody help me here. Oh, it is. In fact, there are seven different times within the Gospels in which somebody is healed from blindness. Every one of them is different. Now, this is the craziest of them all. I'm just here to say. But it's also the only time that Jesus performs a miracle where it doesn't fully happen on the first go-round. So I just want you to tell me, why do you think that is? He's teaching them. Yeah. And, and whenever we talk about Bible study, what's one of the most important things we have to do? We have to get the context. Okay, I, I started this off saying, remember, there's two different stories of blind people. A healing of this blind individual with the, the spit, the two-stage healing. Later on in 1046, we're going to have blind Bartimaeus. He's going to be healed. But then there's this section right in the middle. And three different times, Jesus is going to make a prophecy about the passion. When I say prophecy about the passion, what do I mean? What is the passion? It is the, the, the death, the suffering, it's the suffering, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. It, it is his struggle, it is his agony. And here's the interesting thing about it. All three times, guess what? They don't get it. They don't understand not, not just the people around, not just like people walking by, even the closest people listening, they don't really get it. But I want to ask, why would Jesus do this? Was it because the blindness was so great? It's because he couldn't do it all at once? Because he thought that, that this eye-opening experience, pardon the pun, was too much? Maybe, maybe it was... A test of his faith, which, by the way, I just want to know. 
Did taking two shots to, to heal him, did that build his faith up or did it weaken it? Did it? I, just, I just want to ask that question because I just want to say you have some ailment, some injury, something devastating, a trauma in your life, and you call on God for help, you plead with him, and you get half of a response. I just want to know, or you're like, yes, God, thank you for half of that response, or why couldn't you do more? I just want to ask, what links would you go for healing? We are called to be followers of Jesus on a narrow, bumpy, treacherous road. This makes us not only Jesus followers, but it makes us truth seekers. This, this phrase, truth seeker, uh, is mentioned specifically in Luke chapter 13. The, the Greek word that they use for, for a truth seeker is agonizomai. It's where we get the word agony. That following Jesus is more agonizing than the road is more rough smooth it's more radical than relaxing this isn't a gospel for little old ladies who just want to retire it is a risk-taking it's for risk-taking rebels who will go up against a system of hate a culture of lies and the demon darkness the gospel is not a retirement plan for people who want a smooth road. It's for following a radical. Within this section, Jesus is going to predict his death three different times. Each time he says, I must go to Jerusalem, I must suffer, and I must die. And the disciples don't get it. And I just want to say, how could they? How could they possibly imagine that the Messiah who would change the world would die in his early 30s? They just couldn't see. But get this. There was no way for them to see or to know. When Jesus said, don't you understand, don't you see, it wasn't to highlight their ignorance or their ineptitude. He wanted to show them that you can't clearly see the gospel without the cross. You can't understand the life and teaching of Jesus if you take out his death and his burial and his resurrection. You can't follow Jesus without the cross. You can't be a Christian without the suffering. The sin, the sacrifice, the brokenness, the anguish, the ransom and the redemption all are a part of the cross and it's a part of our Christianity. Without the cross, we are blind. Without the cross, people are trees and Jesus is 
crazy. The gospel points to the cross. And the cross points to Easter. They couldn't understand Jesus. Because they hadn't witnessed the cross. And for each one of us in our lives, it serves as a reminder that in order to see Jesus more clearly, we have to understand the anguish and our own brokenness, the need for a ransom to be paid, and for redemption to be received. They were blind without it. And we are too. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song. And after that, we're going to do something that is of utmost importance. We are going to remember the cross. And in doing so, we proclaim the life of Jesus, not just his death. Because in him... And what he did on the cross, we have redemption. And my prayer is this week, you will see clearly how your life has been drastically changed. And for those of you who haven't, stop letting people lead you to Jesus. And start being led by Jesus. And come to know him more fully. I want to encourage you to do that this morning as we stand and sing.